0: Routines are very important. Uh, Go to sleep and rise at a regular time. Eat and exercise regularly. They can sound and they can feel like chores, but good routines, routines are critical to staying healthy and routines are critical getting things done because you see these things are the very rhythms of life and when we lose them uh, they bring a great deal of chaos to life routines are the rhythms of life that keep us on track and keep us healthy there is also rhythm to the Christian life There is also rhythm to the Christian life that keeps us on track and keeps us growing. And this morning, I'd like to give you three things that are the routines, the important routines that keep us on track and growing. And the first thing is praise and prayer, praise and prayer, Now, you may have noticed that Ephesians chapter 1 uh, divides into two parts. In verses 1 through 14, Paul praises God for blessing us in Christ. Then in verses 15 through 23, Paul prays that God will grant us a deeper understanding of the blessings we have in Christ. Praise and prayer are the rhythm of the Christian life that keep us on track and keep us growing. So let me put it to you this way. We bless God for what He has already done for us. Then we ask for God's blessings to enjoy more fully what God has already done for us. Keep praising God for blessing you so richly in Christ. And keep praying that you may understand how much God has blessed you in Christ. Praise and prayer. And that is why in verses 15 and 16, we hear Paul saying, For this reason, what reason? Well, of course, he's talking about the previous 14 verses, the amazing, rich blessings in the heavenly places with Christ. For this reason, because of all the great blessings we have in Christ, Paul says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Now you remember that Paul is writing this letter during his imprisonment in Rome. He is physically uh, not with them, not present in Ephesus. So he receives reports um, about the Ephesian believers. And Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. You know, from our study in the book of Acts, we saw how hard, how faithfully Paul worked. But he recognizes, doesn't he, that all of his labors all of his hard work would be nothing except God. It was God working through Paul. And so whatever good, whatever benefit Paul's ministry imparted to the Ephesian believers, it was really all thanks to God. That's why Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. And he continues, remembering you in my prayers. Not only does Paul recognize that it was all God who brought the Ephesians to the Lord Jesus, Paul also recognizes that God alone can sustain them. God alone can keep them growing. That is why Paul remembers them in his prayers. And this is really beautiful, isn't it? Because what we here have a glimpse of is Paul's pastoral prayer. And this is how a pastor should and ought to pray. But not only for pastors, what Paul's prayer shows us is the rhythm of praise and prayer for all believers. And I think if we once we recognize this, we begin to see this pattern, this rhythm all throughout the Bible. Just uh, f- uh, from the last 14 verses, you remember how. Paul grounded our salvation in God's predestination. So verses 4 and 5, Paul told us, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And then Paul will say in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, so what's Paul doing? Paul recognizes that our salvation is God's work. It's the accomplishing of his purpose according to his will we stand upon that foundation and we strive standing upon the foundation for a deeper assurance of salvation. You know what Paul is saying? You are a believer because of what God has done. Acknowledge that, thank Him, praise Him for it and now strive and work. So that what God has done for you may become even a greater and fuller reality for you. And if you think about it, prayer works the same way. You know, some people wonder, you know, why should, why should we even pray if God doesn't need our help and only what He has purposed will be done? Well, prayer is also where we see the rhythm of praise and prayer. We praise God for his purpose. We acknowledge that what he has purposed will be done. And at the same time, we pray. We pray that his will be done. So this, this is the pattern and the rhythm of the Christian life. We stand on the foundation of what God has done. We thank him, we acknowledge him, and we praise him. And we pray, and we labor, and we strive so that what God has done may become even clearer to us, that we may enter into a deeper understanding and enjoyment of what God has done. Praise and prayer. Secondly, um, Jesus and the Spirit. And if I can put it this way, our heart and our mind should always be on Jesus and the Spirit. Now, notice what Paul prays for in verse 17. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, did you catch that? Paul says that the Father of glory is not only our God, but the Father of glory is also the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are two things that New Testament teaches very clearly. First, the New Testament is very clear about Jesus' divine nature. Earlier in Isaiah chapter 7, we read the promise of Emmanuel. God's promise to his people was not that I'll send you one of my servants. I'll send you one of my representatives. But God's promise to his people was, I will come. And so when Jesus was uh, uh, born, the pronouncement and the declaration was that Isaiah, the prophecy and the promise to Isaiah was fulfilled. And so Jesus was called Emmanuel, God with us. And starting with with that amazing note, the New Testament makes clear that Jesus is God. It makes clear his divine nature so clearly. So if you remember, for example, in John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? You see, Jesus was himself very clear as to who he was, that he was one with the Father, that if you have seen Jesus, you have seen the invisible God. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So the New Testament makes very clear the divinity of Christ. And the New Testament makes very clear Jesus' human nature so you might remember from john chapter 20 verse 17 the risen jesus says i am ascending to my father and your father to my god and your god now it's really important for us to recognize that when jesus calls God, not only our God, but His own God. Statements like that are not contradicting Jesus' divinity, but statements like that are putting the focus on His office as our mediator, as the incarnate Son of God. You see, the Son of God became a human being. And it is because he, was, he became incarnate. He became a man of flesh and blood that we have a Savior. As man and for man, Jesus was made a curse. Why? You see, our condition of sin and misery and the curse coming from our sin was because of what Adam did And where man failed, Jesus came to prevail. Where man rebelled, Jesus came to obey. And the debt that man owes, Jesus came as man, for man, to pay that debt. And this is really important. Perhaps we don't recognize the significance of it. Paul's readers were in a culture, in the Greco-Roman culture, where the gods would sometimes appear in the form of a human being. But it was usually with the purpose uh, of tricking people. It's usually with the purpose of taking advantage of people. And some of you who know Greek and Roman mythology, you know, I don't have to get into details. The Son of God is God himself coming to us not merely in the appearance or mirage of a human being, but he took on flesh and blood so that as a man, he may be taken advantage of. That as a man, he might suffer and die. And that is why both the divinity of Jesus Christ and the humanity of Jesus Christ are so important. Jesus, fully divine, fully God, and Jesus, fully human, And one of us, as man and for man, he was made a curse. And as man and for man, he rose from the dead. And this incarnate God-man is so uniquely and perfectly qualified to be our mediator. You see, as a man, he presents man to God. And as God, he gives us his spirit. And so in verse 13, we saw this. Paul said, In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. To, uh, to come to Jesus with faith means that we come to the God who is able to give us, who gladly lavishes on us his Spirit. So that is something that has already taken place. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And then listen to what Paul prays. He prays that the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Did you see that? Paul at once in verse 13 praises God for the gift of the promised spirit. And here in this passage, he also prays that the Father may give the Spirit to the believers. Why? Now, this is the same rhythm we saw earlier. Thank God for the blessings that you have received and pray for more. So, Paul himself taught us that God has given us the Spirit. Now he prays that the Father may give his Spirit. Why? Well, it's certainly not because the father withdrew his spirit. It's certainly not because the father took back his spirit from his children. What God gives, he gives lavishly. And when he gives himself, when he gives his son, and when he gives his spirit, he does so. He gives in the fullness of his covenant faithfulness. God does not take back His gifts. He does not take back His Spirit from His children. And knowing that, we still pray for the Spirit because it is the Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ alone that can let us know what is the hope, Paul says, what is the hope to which He has called you. So the first rhythm of the Christian life is praise and prayer. The second rhythm, if I can call it that, is Jesus and Spirit. You see how Paul's eyes go back and forth? His affection and his love go back and forth between the Son, the Father, and the Spirit. And the last rhythm of the Christian life is already and At last. Already and at last. So look at verse 18. He prays for the Spirit. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. When God predestined us and elected us and adopted us, it had a purpose. It was a calling to something. And what did God call you to? He called you to hope. Hope. Now the New Testament idea of hope is very badly served by our English word, hope. Because when we talk about hope, what we have in mind is something that we wish for, but which may come true, but may not come true. So when we talk about hope, there's nothing certain about it. It says something about our desires, but not about its outcome. But the New Testament hope is actually something very different, because the New Testament hope is nothing less than the final outcome of our union with Christ. It is the glorious reality that Jesus has secured for us with his death and with his resurrection. It is that glorious reality for which the Spirit is himself, the down payment, the guarantee. And because this is the assured and the glorious and certain outcome of what Jesus has done for us, the New Testament has uh, a few different names to, to describe uh, this glorious reality. Sometimes it calls it the eternal life. Sometimes it's called the crown of life or the crown of glory. In other places, it's called the marriage feast of the Lamb. In Revelation, it's called eating from the tree of life. One of Paul's favorite words that described this hope this assured certain outcome of what Jesus has done is to call it the inheritance. And the Bible needs all these words because the the glory and the riches of what Jesus has accomplished us, it can't be exhaustively described with one concept, with one word. And so it, it uses all these words to Show us a glimpse. Give us a taste of what it is that God has called us to, what the Bible calls hope. And this hope is certain. This hope is assured because this is what Jesus suffered and died and rose from the dead to give to us. And so that's what it means to be a Christian, to live with this amazing hope, which is not a mere wishful thinking, but something that is so sure, something that is so certain, that we can, can I put it this way, take it to the bank. And the glorious and the wonderful thing that the Scripture tells us is that, to our great surprise, we already possess the substance of this hope in this life. However, for now, in this life, on this side of eternity, we experience this hope, this glory, only in part. We possess it so much so that in, in Romans chapter, right, Paul is able to say, those whom God justified, he glorified. He puts it in the past tense. You know, when we think about being glorified, it's a future reality for us, something that has yet to take place. But Paul says it's already happened. And what Paul's getting at there is, is the certainty, the fact that we, by faith, already take part in the glorious promises in Jesus Christ. We already possess it, and yet we do not experience the fullness of that glory. That is why Paul prays for the Spirit that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You see, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that our already and not yet, we already have assurance, we already have, in, by faith, this, the hope of glory, but we do not yet experience them in their fullness. We do not yet enjoy them in their fullness, but the Spirit is the guarantee that our already and not yet will one day be at last because what we now enjoy in part by faith we will enjoy then in full and by sight and that is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and that's important it's critical because our life in Christ for the time being, and mingles joy and sorrow. For the time being, on this side of eternity, life is hard. And following Jesus is hard. And there are many trials and hardship that often leave us feeling spiritually impoverished and empty and we don't often feel richly blessed we don't often feel like we have an abundant life and so if hope is mere wishful thinking, you know that just isn't enough to lift up our discouraged hearts But our hope is in Christ and our hope is guaranteed by the Spirit. And this hope, because it is in Christ and guaranteed by the Spirit, this hope tells us that though for the time being we face many hard trials and difficulties, though for the time being our lives are full of both laughter and tears, though for the time being we often feel empty, impoverished, and weak, there will come a day, there will come a day when we will be only full. There will only be joy. And that is why this hope, it has the power to sweeten even our most bitter experience. It doesn't mean that we, we don't cry anymore. It doesn't mean that our hearts don't hurt anymore. But even as we cry and even as our hearts are hurting, there is hope, there is light, and there is strength. So loved ones, let me say this to you. Praise God for the blessings that you have in Jesus Christ. And then pray that you may enjoy the blessings in Jesus Christ more deeply. Praise God for the blessing of His Spirit. And pray that the Father give you the Spirit more abundantly. And notice that God has called you to hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for instructing us this morning. And I pray, O Lord, for your precious children here and elsewhere. I pray that you would bring to remembrance the glorious and the wonderful things that you have done for them, and that they may be encouraged and be reminded to seek even more earnestly the enjoyment, and the possession of the blessings. And I pray, O Lord, that you would make so clear and so real to your children the reality, the joy, the fullness of Jesus, that their trials and their cares may take on a new light of hope and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.